<clears throat> say a few things about the um, emotive or heart way of handling things that we can develop in meditation that becomes a very helpful resource complement to where we handle anything in fact everything um, that we do come into contact with with attention there will always be some emotive feel to it it's the nature of mind so mind in, in the Buddhist sense of the word citta is an effective as well as a volitional center so it's sometimes translated as heart it's not purely an emotional experience. Um, emotions are more developed than just the emotive resonance, which is something like the basic sensitivity, feeling tone on an emotive level. And how that's picked up and what gets added to that produces our characteristic emotions of uh, you know, excitement, joy, happiness, irritation, fear, mistrust, you know, resentment, that will tend to colour any thought process, particularly if they're very strong. So in, in the in the thought process will generally have some emotional colouring to it. And, and of course, uh, as we speak, or we tend to emphasise more of the rational, so we often... Um, don't take that into account, don't acknowledge the little kind of plays that occur with words or the little digs that occur underneath statements, the kind of odd snipe or the, or the pressures or the fears or the, um, or sometimes even the warmth and the care that goes behind what we're saying. We don't always hear that or fully acknowledge it, but it's, it's there. And so sometimes, of course, this can be highly, highly defended or highly fenced off. So that, um, you know, people kind of try to speak in ways that are emotionless. But that's a, that's an emotional experience called fear <laughs> or mistrust, you know. Where it means I don't want to have to acknowledge any feeling in this. So I'm just being completely rational. Well, that's, that's an emotionally rational um, assumption to make because <laughs> it's there anyway so whether we bring up something that's to do with uh, defence dismiss- and dismissiveness and denial or not or whether it's actually something that's a bit more uncomfortable you know anger anxiety um, a lot of it just anxiety and nervousness because of the whole experience of another person and the things that we often want some reassurance and some some sense of, of warmth or empathy or okay signals from other people. Now if we are actually able to to be to not be ashamed about that, but to you know, to recognise that as part of maybe that's a normal thing that we need to 
of going between humans in daily life, you know, signals, fine, okay. Um, You know, then uh, one doesn't have to either kind of plead for it or, or pretend that we don't need it. We sort of tough, tough our way through life. It's good to have navigational signals. If one's doing something you know, that's not not agreeable, not understandable, so there is this this uh, in all experience there is this kind of uh, quality of of, of felt uh, sense to it. Because we are involved in our experience, it happens to us. It's not just purely out there on paper, black and white, external facts. These are, we're in our experience, so naturally it all matters to some extent. You know, they don't matter much, but to some, it matters to a certain extent. If I'm, if I'm part of that, then, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of, well, I like that, or I don't like that, or I'm not certain about that happening. That's, that's normal. That's that's the fairly motive sense you know, in the Buddhist analysis of mind or chitta. Then that's taken in, that's taken for granted. There's not a division between thinking and the the feeling sense. They're they're they're, they're not differentiated. You know, in the in the scriptures, in the way the Buddha presented it. You know, if you think something, you feel it. There's a certain quality of uplift or depression or, or you know, joy or despair that goes along with that, some way or another. We don't have just purely scientific, um, rational discussions. You know, there's a, if you look in the scriptures, somebody's always sitting there with their either their shoulders are drooping, they're glum, dejected because they've just been trounced by the Buddha, or <laughs> they're kind of uplifted, trilling, you know you know, vastly inspired because they've just been uplifted by the Buddha. But nobody's just sitting there saying, thank you very much, that was interesting. <laughs> there was something going on there. So when we, when we meditate, we may, we may think, you know, from our bias, that, well, just to be kind of more clear, has to be kind of completely clear and rational, logical, would be better. Um, so we maybe try to meditate like that, being scientific, like using a, a microscope or a, you know, a clear lens to, to view the breathing with. But the, the, all the, all the glass is tinted. The clarity is just knowing, knowing the tints. And knowing the tints are smoky, or rosy, or what they are. So, just, so as, we, as we meditate, part of it, we're just kind of contemplating the various uh, resonances that occur. You know, ideally, we're, we are focusing in a way that's that's uh, comes from a place of faith, place of um, interest, a place of where it's meaningful for me. You know, and so one is well advised to, in one's meditation topics, to use a meditation topic that's meaningful, 
and they're not all meaningful all the time. Some sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Or at least to handle it in a way that's meaningful, rather than just kind of blindly soldier away out of a sense of duty. And this will work. It only work when you when it becomes meaningful. You know, and sometimes there is a meaning in saying, "Well, I'll bring forth my my courage or my inquiry, you know, into this rather difficult topic." Then that's meaningful. But it should never be something that one does because one has to or should do, or because that divorces it from being personally meaningful. It's just something external that you've got to do for an hour, or a retreat, or it says so in the book. Then you go, one goes into this um, dissociated state. And so that's actually food for the hindrances. Because if, if your emotive sense is not touching or carried or drawn into the meditation, it would be drawn towards something else. Namely, you know, thoughts of sensuality, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of doubt. The, the, the colorations will occur in other uh, forms. So one is really strongly advised to to make it meaningful. And so recollections, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, purpose of our practice, the value of these things, the uh, the way of using the meditation in order to to personally um, be in touch with one's process, enhance, clear what's difficult. You know, so so. All these things, just steady recollection, will often take us to a place where we we are more in, in tune, and you know, and then one will find that, that actually there is a sense of uplift or or emotive energy there. We're inspired. We're we're concerned. We're we're with it, and that the, when you're with that in the bodily, and that's referred to your body. Almost sooner or later, you're almost certainly going to come to the experience of, of breathing, because that's a fundamental bodily experience. It's called the Kaya Sankara, we call it what the fundamental energetic formation of embodiment. <laughs> How to make a simple Pali phrase into it. <laughs> Did I say that again? <laughs> fundamental, fundamental energetic Foundation of embodiment. <laughs> so you sit with the body in a tuned in way, then you can tune into its rhythms and it's the breath and the breath energy as it as it flows. But if one is just trying to do that, then the likelihood is that the very act of trying and trying to get it will will bring one out of tune, out of a harmonious uh, responsive, um, tuned-in state, and we only get snatches of that breathing, or, or or not at all. So it's not breathing. So it's not purely a sense, an external sensory experience. It, breathing is also a heart experience. It's it's related to that. And many of the troubles and difficulties that come up will be experienced um, not as, as as blips or snags on the screen, but as, as felt experiences, turbulence, um, stress, 
struggle, um, restlessness, fidgetiness. Mm. You know, obsessive storms come in that pull one's attention away. Those are very much emotive experiences felt. Mm. And just watching them, though, you know that that that's okay. But it's a little bit of a of a um, pallid phrase to to try to sum up what what is really required, because watching, you know, it's not that one isn't watching, but it is very much a can it can bring us back to that. Here I am looking at this interesting specimen under a microscope state of mind, whereby there's not the emotive. Um, equanimity or kindness or encouragement or faith or patience or those, those tremendously potent resources that we all have. But we certainly don't want to rule that out by thinking you've just got to watch this you know, as if that's, that's it. But certainly in the act of attention then fully attending means attending also emotionally. Yeah. What is what is an attentive emotion rather than obscuring emotion? Because we tend to, from a kind of a worldview that is highly accentuating rational, so-called objective, so-called you know, scientific approach, then we can easily regard all emotionality as somehow a, a disturbance, an obscure, an obs- obscuration, a cloud that's getting in the way. So you soon approach things with a kind of bleached, sterile state of mind, where things like love and compassion won't get in the way <laughs> of doing what humans do, destroying each other. But in, in meditation, then, it's to recognize you know, the emotions can be difficult and obscuring if they're not Honored and and uh, and valued and cultivated, but then so can any anything gets like that. You know, certainly, the thinking mind gets like that, and the the sense of objective watching can get pretty merciless and uh, rigid and uh, demanding and uh, unforgiving and uh, numb at times. So they're using the resource that we do have. So I would say even more personally, more crucial than just what we think attention is to be is to, to feel what attention's like. What's the feeling that goes with attention? So to develop attention from that sense, you know, one is interested, uh, uh, one is troubled. One looks for peace. One uh, seeks harmony. There's that in us. One can be patient. One can be loving. Now these are important ways of dealing with any hindrance and the, and the roots of all hindrances they help to settle the emotional turbulence 
So in terms of picking up the meditation theme, does that say the emotive side of that is the the enthusiasm, the uh, eagerness, the joyfulness to be doing something that's purposeful and clear and, and, and personally valuing in one's life. So the meditation topic should should be that and represent that and be held and picked up in that way. Walking back, you know, on a jo- on a walking path in order to see this as a way of, of creating a rhythm, creating a space, creating an energetic quality that will help to clear and uh, make the mind more luminous, uh, more spacious, brighter. Mm. And a very simple thing, just being with this body, and feeling out this body. So the ability to, to, to pick up, is not, it's not just an act of, of, of an eyeball, it's also an act of heart. And staying with, And working with the the gaps that occur, where we snag, where we lose it, where there's a blur and a flurry, and there's that you know shock of, of recognizing oh dear, and then how to to calm through that rather than go into a, a tense state or an agitated state, how to just calm at that place, mm. stay open with that, being spacious. The spaciousness is, is not just a, uh, an act of, of widening attention, it's also an emotional widening to do with something like patience, compassion, that in us which uh, it wants, to, wants to listen, isn't in a hurry. quality of when there is connection or when the connection becomes steadier then the experience is called rapture which is which is a sense in which there is a steady tone emotional tone of, of settling of settledness mm. yeah we feel we're in the groove that may be for you know 10 minutes 5 minutes 3 minutes half an hour Strong, not so strong. To, and to pick that up, to, to attend to that sign as it occurs. And uh, as that is, um, that particular sign has a, has a certain eagerness to it, conviction to it, then to be able to, to as that becomes clearer, to, to spread and, and tranquilize that, to calm it. So we don't just get um, excited or, or driven by that. You know, the feeling of when we're making progress or things seem to be going well, um, then certainly I notice what happens in my mind is the rhythm picks up, I get a little more excited than anything I'm doing. You know, I'm enjoying it, I get a bit more excited and I start to do it a bit faster or the rhythm of it picks up. So I noted. So it's difficult to to just cool, stay calm. I notice this. So I have because I have an exercise machine with a little pulse counter on it. Counts the pulse, heartbeats, 
uh, first of all, it gets to a certain place, it's, it seems to start flowing. I think, oh, this is very nice. And notice that the, the heart, the beat goes up and up and up because I, I actually get something in me gets more excited by that, slightly excited, so I go faster. So to actually stay at a, at a particular place means often I'm emotionally cooling down with that. It's quite an interesting meditation. Getting more spacious. Yeah. Rapture and sukha ease. Now, these in the second foundation or the second tetrad of the Anapanasati deals with this topic with the, the citta sankara, which is the basic energetic foundation of. Emotive resonance. <laughs> In other words, it's that that in us that that emotive energy, you know, which can be in, in glad, enthusiastic, depressed, flaccid, stri- striving. So, so it's mastering that. You know. First of all, appears with the experience of of pity, and things start going well. And then we calm that with sukha. So fully, fully knowing and calming the citta sankara. It's not calming it down. It's more like opening it, spreading it, relaxing it, knowing when's the time to, if you like, to extend, to check, and then to extend, and then just how to appreciate and feel glad, and then the time for abiding in equanimity. That's with the sense of. Um, first of all, gladness, appreciation of where of where one is, and then equanimous, just peacefully contemplating, which is the what we practice within the the third and foundation of mindfulness, a third third tetrad of anapanasati. Their emotive senses can be affected by all things, but most primarily, probably, one of the most primary things it's affected by is, is bodily experience. The, the bodily experience is our one of the most fundamental signals for me. You know, that that conglomerate of sensations—that's where I am. When it's acute, oh no, I'm stuck in here. And when it's pleasant, oh, I'm having a good time. Yeah. And a lot of the time, oh, this is me, this kind of blob of sensations. A kind of fundamental navigational signal of, of me is the bodily body tone. So that's going to, you know, has its emotional effects. When it's stressed, it, it's going to give you, a, the, the resonance of that is going to be urgent, panic, tight, problem, you know, uh, the temperament's going to be narrow. One's going to feel perhaps snappy, irritable, uh, constricted. Uh, you know, not a lot of give, not a lot of leeway. When, the, when there's bodily uh, discomfort. 
So in this then, you know, just to recognize that, that that's just totally natural. And how do we, say, just cultivate the proper emotional attention to, to the body? Breathing in, breathing out, coming back to that tone, to that basic rhythm. And then whatever emotional resonance or sign is helpful for that. Often it will be about opening. And this is opening the time, all the time in the world. You know, taking away the deadlines, taking away the, 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 uh, the targets or the standards of what I should be experiencing. Those things can, can, can box us in. Because if it's a, it's a, if it's a pleasant experience, the Anapanasati, the, the tetrads describe it as a pleasant experience. So the emphasis is on how to kind of keep sharpening it because the tendency is to, is to, is to open and, and bliss, you know, and just get very spacious and, and cruise on it. So the, the ten, in the Anapanasati Sutta they talk about you know, calming it and getting sharper on that because the tendency is to go so so warm and flowing with it. <laughs> if it's working. So it's it's very much you know, like gladdening the mind and then, then stabilizing, focusing, sharpening, you know. As as the negative effects peel off, we come to something much more warm, rich, flowing and spacious. So there's a need to keep the emphasis on, well, you know, don't just space out on this, sharpen, sharpen, get clear. But if one is not having a pleasant experience <laughs> bodily or mentally, then we don't. It's not sharpening we need. It's it's more um, something richer, warmer, more spacious. Yeah. So then again, just considering you know, what what a word like concentration can bring up for us can be purely on, on that, you know, the, the laboratory microscope state of mind rather than. What really helps us to collect, stabilize, come together around this? How do we come together? What's the way of, of, of bringing our hearts into this? So leading from that place. Making it so it's just one inhalation or one exhalation. Or just the, the, the sign of the body. Or just working with the, the difficulties in a spacious and uh, a generous way. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the likelihood is if, if we just work on that, that, that we will come to, to a breath reference within that as a vehicle that can help to spread that quality of, of mood through the body. The other reference, of course, that we have that's very significant for us, that we always get um, an emotional resonance from, is the other. One part that can be body experience I call me, which is a powerful one. And of course the thoughts and so forth. 
but I suggest that thoughts are often associated you know, with either the body or with the the other. And the other, I mean everything that is external and yet related. You know, one's other, which is one's friends, one's associates, um, the people around, the people who one's sharing energy and time with, people who are part of our living attention. Because they bring up and they remind us of our basic relational experience, how we experience ourselves as being regarded by others or held by others or known by others or valued or judged or not valued by others. So this is a very fundamental patterning. One one is who I experience myself to be, which is like a bodily sense. That's going to be afflicted by pain, illness, uh, things of that nature. And the other is how I experience myself as an object regarded by how I experience myself as an object, how I'm regarded by others. So when we say the other, it doesn't mean, you know, like an objective external world, it means a subjective external world. So one can feel more, you know, disturbed by a minor thing happening, a minor disagreement or minor confusion happening within one's close sphere of friends and associates, than you know, reading about the crash in the stock exchange in Tokyo. You think, oh dear, you know, six hundred points down in the Nikkei index. Oh, that's about you know. Whereas you know, it doesn't mean very much. Just so what. Uh, or one can tut over some terrible disaster in another part of the world, or maybe get some sigh of, of sadness. 100,000 people in India was killed in an earthquake. Oh, that's terrible. But it doesn't kind of come back again and again and again throughout the day as much as that, as that sort, of, sort of irritable exchange I had with so-and-so over tea, you know. They put sugar in my tea, or there was only chamomile or something, or somebody, somebody complained about it, and that's kind of stuck with me for three days. <laughs> 100,000 people dead in India is, is five seconds tut tut sigh. <laughs> so it's not, it's very much, you know, that, that subjective external world where we're getting our readings from, where we're getting our references to, to who we are. So this again can be very difficult or it can be uh, enjoyable, of course. Now if we've, if we've not regarded that, if we've dismissed that, the chances are we've dismissed it because 
that's been difficult, hostile, confusing in the past, so we've decided not to bother with it anymore. This is a pretty standard pattern. You know, come from kind of dysfunctional families and dysfunctional schools and dysfunctional jobs. Eventually you think, well, blow it, I'm not going to bother with this anymore. Just be on my own. Sort myself out. You know, seal off. So, you know, like, I haven't had a particularly difficult life, but still I do this. We have done this. Can you tell me about it later? <laughs> <laughs> Gently. <laughs> so we don't recognize it can also be a place, uh, something that's extremely uplifting and warming and gladdening to, to, to realize that you know, actually people are concerned for your one's welfare. Um, nobody's really antagonistic. You know. People just sometimes are uncertain how to express their, their warmth, or whether it's okay to express warmth and regard. And certainly, you know, in single life, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's that, actually. It's the uncertainty and anxiety over how to, how to be, how we're allowed to be nice to each other, or concerned with each other without feeling of being a nuisance. So all this kind of, you know, unexpressed feelingness that can go on can itself make us feel frustrated, isolated, and uh, you know, awkward and embarrassed. And so you get these effects coming from how one experiences oneself in a group of people, which is quite a significant feature of our of our contemplative life, being in a group of people. And then, of course, we have a formal group where the sort of signs of touching and conversing and chatting and nudging and winking and blinking and flicking and poking and tickling and (laughs) choking and cuddling and... (laughs) don't don't, don't get much of a (laughs) foothold. So you can't get all the assurance signals that you do in normal life, you know. Saying, oh, start to freeze up a little bit. So it's a matter of, of maybe, you know, acknowledging that and uh, at least being feeling what, what I can do is I can at least, you know, send my warmth out. I can warm up my little bit of space. You know, we all have that possibility. And practicing metta for each other, ourselves. And then also just the, the, the right the right time and the right place. There's no point in you know, practicing metta sitting here and then as soon as we get up we stop practicing it so you you know, you kind of slam the door in somebody's face or for <laughs> actually practicing it most clearly when one is gonna be in some sort of you know, 
flowing together the experience, like setting things up for the meal, putting things away, the chores, how to make those at times when there are gestures and signs of, of acknowledging each other rather than ignoring each other, which can happen in retreat, you know, sort of focus. So, uh, but then is to recognize that the idea of, of focusing in noble silence is to prevent the overflow of so much positive warm feeling that it would distract us. We just get into endless uh, choruses of, of, of jubilant chit-chat. But sometimes this isn't really a problem. And uh, so... You know, the, the sense of a tightening and focusing comes from, ti- um, from sharpening up a warm, flowing energy. You don't need to tighten a frozen energy <laughs> any tighter. <laughs> a frozen, shut-down energy, you don't really want to tighten it up or sharpen it up. You want to soften it. So actually there are ways and means in which we do this, just, just uh, making you know, moments of eye contact, Passing things, moving around, acknowledging other bodily presence, and being, you know, sh- um, sharing, and not, you know, you can tell that people actually realise there's somebody else there, physically. Um, it all helps to to make the field feel more settled. One feels more implanted than just kind of perched on a little, you know, little stool, a little kind of sitting mat feeling planted in the place is, is important. These are all these things we don't necessarily recognize or acknowledge directly. It's kind of assumed because so much of our life is going to be about that. You know, you just slot into the workplace, slot into the traffic jam, slot, you know, you don't actually get settled into anything. One is very much a migrant in life. But it doesn't work in meditation, particularly in, in a group. You have to find your space, test your space, warm your space, know your space is okay with others. Uh, feel your space is welcomed in other, with others, people's spaces, learn how to move them around with each other. So quite a lot of, of our you know, body language and ways of operating in formal situations is, is devised to make us more able to, to move the space around actually move our spaces together rather than, say, uh, necessarily talk or physically contact. We move our spaces together, open them together, um, protect. No one has a time to check, a time to open, a time to just be present, a time to be equanimous. This all helps um, rich, enrich the experience of meditation. So the otherness can be can come come to that that lingering sense of how we how we judge ourselves. This is where it really pays comes to a head. So we're seeing ourselves, you know, as as 
what we do, what we what we are is probably going to be a thing that we do in our bodies, breathing, and meditation, and so forth. That's that's if you like the definition of myself, my self definition in in terms of of, an in, of this internal presence of this sense of being here. And then there's also the experience of how I am seen or regarded, which is very much the group social experience. But that is encapsulated finally in how I how I have an overview of myself. Because what I'm doing, which can be you know, afflicted or slightly affected in one way or another, and that requires inspiration, uplift, and careful handling. There's also that aspect, which is, what's the overview that I have? And that's going to be something that very much associated with how we regard ourselves as being seen by others. It's going to be associated with that. It's karmically connected to that. This is where, of course, many people experience the tyrant. That which regards me in my own mind. The unforgiving, ungenerous, critical, crabby tyrant. Where did he come from? Well, it's 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 it seems to me quite closely. It's exaggerated. It's 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 a it's some total of you know one's uh, the, the socialization experience, <laughs> whereby you know so often in in social experiences, well, you know, the social programming, education, training in life, job, um, you know, groups, uh, schools, anything of that nature. Uh, the emphasis is on telling you what's wrong. There's always the teacher, the boss, the leader who's telling you what's wrong. Or he's going to tell you what's wrong. His job is to tell you what's wrong. And will probably do so. It may be parental. It may be, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And if you like, that particular, hopefully, you know, most parents and so forth will have other sides to them. You know, but it isn't always, so perhaps one isn't always that case. It's always the case the way it is. If you like the crystallization of the of the parental that we hadn't, you know, that's been critical, or we haven't been able to accommodate, we haven't been able to live up to. And it's purely archetypal, but it can have personal overtones. Is that that the inner tyrant? So after a while, you don't need anybody else to tell you what's wrong because you're telling you what's wrong with you all the time. You don't need, you've totally internalized the boss. You don't need one anymore, you know. In fact, you know, we have to do somebody who can, who can walk in the room and say, I'm the boss, and immediately you start complaining about yourself. <laughs> or somebody you take to be the boss, it just appears and immediately you find yourself start complaining about yourself. It's going to switch it on, you know. <laughs> start to feel frightened. Unworthy, useless, <laughs> so just drop the hat. 
And if it isn't one around, then create one. Start thinking about arahants and Buddhas and great teachers and how... <laughs> so, So, um, this is not a helpful thing to carry around. Obviously, we do make mistakes, and we do need to be mindful of that. But then there's a time to check, time to gladden, time to look on with equanimity. And these two last ones are very important emotional training. Gladdening, the the uplift, so so the pamoja, the gladness of what one's doing, sense of rapture, the being able to appreciate you know, the, the, the virtue, the integrity, <coughs> the stability, the endeavor, and then to complement the mind, the warm, to so that one's, one's inner sphere, uh, one's overview is friendly, uh, supportive. And then this, when this becomes <coughs> clear, is we clear out the negative effects of that, then to be able to abide contemplating equanimity with equanimity, because then one can. One isn't contemplating from a bias, which I suggest is is very often a negative bias. Taking refuge in, in Buddha is, is trying to build up an archetype of Buddha as the friend, as the bestower, the one who bestows blessings on me rather than continual rebukes and curses on me. <laughs> and say, so if I've done anything wrong, I ask forgiveness. You know? So as we do every day, you know, forgiveness, ask forgiveness if you've done anything wrong. And so the Buddha then doesn't say, well, you come to think of it as this, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that. I'm never going to forgive you because you're hopeless. He says, well, we understand you ask forgiveness, this is very good, let's try again. <laughs> this is what Buddha says when one asks forgiveness. The yeah, tyrant doesn't say that. Yeah, well, you're always like that. You know, if you, now you come to think of it, it's also like this and like that as well, and you're probably never going to be like that. So a sign of, of really you know, trying to take one's practice to, 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 to the Buddha, to the Bhagawan, the Blessed One, one who bestows blessings, the Noble One. And then, so what, what is that response? If we can kept, you know, take it past that, that reflex of judgment to a, somewhere deeper. Oh, there's a lot of suffering here. Let's, let's be careful here. Mm. There's a lot of tightness here. Let's just take it easy now. Mm. A little doubt here. Let's just be peaceful, quiet, steady. Mm. This needs some reassurance. Needs some encouragement. The things that uh, humans always need. Some sort of sign of nod or encouragement or you know, or oh well there's the you know take it the problem is is this it's specific it's not generic it's not 
you are a complete problem. But oh, this is there's something you're not seeing there that particular point. You know, so it's never a kind of complete write-off. But it's when you when you're walking, you know, just make make you standing a little longer to to allow yourself to catch up. Uh, I think you're losing contact with the whole body when you're walking along. It seems that at the end of the in-breath, do you, are you stay with that or do you, are you missing that? Uh, how about the posture? Have you checked that recently? Uh, what's the energy? Is it bright? Is it pushing? Is it bright? Is it unengaged? Why are you not engaged? What's happening? And so that, you know, a good friend trying to check things out. This is the internal a teacher that one needs to establish. This is, say, you know, emot- emo- training in this emotive sense, so that one's awareness is is emotively sound, skillful, not just uh, you know, technically or visually accurate. It's emotionally relevant. Just having that sense of one is asked to be emotionally relevant. It's an asset to to realize we have this resource and this, I feel, must lead our path, not not just be a sort of thing you, you do once a day every now and then, but something that one should lead with. And let the, 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 the eyes follow that. Let the attention follow follow that rather than this lead from a from a um, uh, sort of focusing in, in just a purely visual way, descriptive way. <laughs>